I'm very aware that I am a generational cycle breaker. I am activating a lot of other young people to break certain cycles. And when I say that, I mean cycles of poverty. You can break out of that. And if you want something different, if you want to pursue education, you can, and we will help you. Welcome to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast, brought to you by DonorSearch, the show that takes you inside the lives of thought leaders, innovators, and change makers in fundraising, philanthropy, and civil society. I'm your host, Jay Frost. In this episode, we speak with Yasmin Arrington Brooks, founder of Scholar Chips and one of the top 10 CNN heroes of 2023. Since 2010, her organization has provided renewable scholarships, book awards, and mentoring to college-bound youth with incarcerated parents. We speak with her about her discovery at age 15 that there were no scholarships dedicated to young aspiring students like herself with incarcerated parents, arguably among the most vulnerable and in need, and how she developed a program that now provides a way for those like her to attend and graduate from college. Thank you so much, Yasmin, for being willing to talk. And uh, again, congratulations on being honored for the work you have been doing for so long. And I know we we'll, are planning to do uh, into the future. But for those who don't know much about your work, can you tell us a little bit about, about the organization, about uh, scholarships? Yes, absolutely. And Jay, thank you so much for having me. This is really, really exciting to, to speak with you. Uh, yes, uh, I am the founder and executive director of a um, grassroots DC-based 501c3 organization called Scholar Chips. And the CHIPS is an imperfect acronym. It stands for Children of or Children with Incarcerated Parents. And um, our mission is to provide college scholarships, mentoring, mental health supports, and a robust support network to children of incarcerated parents or more specifically, college-bound young adults who have incarcerated parents, inspiring them to complete their college education. So that, that and that's that's in short who we are and 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 what we do. Where did that whole journey start for you? How did you come up with the uh, the idea? Yeah, so it started when I was when I was fairly young. My junior year of high school, um, I had some peers in, in I was I'm very much a nerd um, and I and I'm proud of that. Uh, <laughs> and I had peers, you know, they were very well aware that I was like very engaged in, in class and in school. And so they would say, Yasmin, you should really you should really think about applying for LearnServe or, you know, you should really check out LearnServe. I had no idea what they were talking about. And I Googled, you know, I researched uh, LearnServe and it is a LearnServe is still around to this day. It is a org, um, not another nonprofit organization also based in D.C. Uh, and what LearnServe does is takes or welcomes teenagers, high school students from schools across D.C., Maryland, Virginia, public schools, private schools, Catholic schools, and uh, t introduces us and teaches teaches us about, well, I guess not us, I'm not a teenager anymore, but <laughs> but them about a social entrepreneurship. And that was a completely new concept to me at the time. And and it really opened up a whole new new world for me about what was possible. And throughout the it's a year long, it's a school year long program. So from like September, or October, all the way through. June, really. Uh, like May, June. Uh, and they take, they have a curriculum that they take us through. And we met twice, twice, a, twice a month in person at School Without Walls um, by, by Foggy Bottom over there by, I think it's George Washington University. Uh, and we would just sit and talk and learn, you know, okay, what is social entrepreneurship? What are all the different ways that what what can that look like? And they would enter, they would bring in people who were who had either founded their own organizations or were a part of of corporations and businesses that had some type of social mission. And then in the program, they challenged us 
And the, the first question they asked us was, what pisses you guys off? And that we were like, what? <laughs> like, what, what are they talking about? And so our cohort leader said, we want you to just take some time to observe your, you know, look into your, your personal lives, your home lives, your community, your schools, and identify at least one issue, one social issue that you see that makes you upset or makes you want to see some type of change. And then they took us kind of through, through that, through that journey of like, as if we were creating some type of creating a business or basically a solution. And so they challenged us after we identified that issue to do some research and then to come up with our own idea about how to solve that issue. So that's sort of how, you know, the, the research process is, is, is how this kind of came together. So the issue that I identified was mass incarceration and the prison industrial complex, literally, as, as you shared earlier. And um, I began to research the issue. But, but one of the reasons I chose it is because my father has been in and out of jail and prison my literally my entire life to this very day. And so it hit home for me, but I, but I, I, I just had, I don't know. I just had some type of sense or feeling that there were others that were, that have, that have experienced this. And then I began to see these just astronomical statistics about young people. Well, really just the United States, like for example, that the United States incarcerates more people than any other country that, that was, you know, I was awestruck and not in a good way, you know, by by that that uh, reality. And then I saw other statistics, like, for example, over two million, you know, the, the statistic changes slightly depending on the source. But basically over two million young people in the United States currently at any given time have or have had an incarcerated parent. And the number gets higher, you know, um, like for those for pe people in the United States, like between the ages of, you know, birth and 18 years old, like. So anyway, I was like, oh, it was almost as if a I felt like a ton of bricks had had hit me. And I realized, wow, there are so there are really so many other people who have had this experience like I have. And then at the same time, my maternal grandmother who raised me pre predominantly, who raised me and my two brothers was helping me to research online um, different scholarships that I could apply for because th this was my junior year of high school. So I was preparing, you know, for my senior year and for college. So we were looking up all these scholarships and one evening because we 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 always had our like evening talks, you know, either before dinner, after dinner or during dinner. And she said, you know, Yasmin, there are so many niche and creative scholarships out here, but I don't see any specifically for young people like yourself who have incarcerated parents. So my grandmother was the one that had the aha moment. I just sort of kept her observation in, in my mind. And when I went, when I was going back and forth to learn serve, then they say, oh, by the way, <laughs> we want you all to come up with a social venture is what they called it. And you have to pitch this idea and like, oh, okay. And I really just wanted to get through it. I didn't, you know, when I was initially going through learn serve, my, my hope and my goal was that I would finish the program so that LearnServe has, has this cool offering for teenagers where if you finish the program, you have the opportunity to study abroad for about two and a half weeks. And I wanted to go to Zambia, Africa, which did happen. But yeah, right. It totally just cool and incredible. And I had a sponsor and everything. Um, but anyway, that was my initial reason why I wanted to get involved. But little did I know that me going through the program, that, that scholarships would I'll basically, you know, my grandmother and I would conceive of this idea and that I would sort of bring it to life. And the last thing I'll say is that at the time, LearnServe had a partnership with Ashoka, specifically with Ashoka's youth venture. And at that time, 
I was only 15 or 16 years old. They gave uh, Ashoka's youth venture gave me a thousand dollar seed grant to launch scholarships. And I was like, oh, oh, shoot. Like, OK, <laughs> this is getting real really fast. And so now I actually have to do something in any time. Even at that age, I, I understood I kind of understood the concept of, concept of stewardship. So if somebody, you know, says, OK, I'm giving you this and this is what I want it to be used for. I, I take that seriously. So that 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 is how it all began. Uh, there's so much to ask about in there. But before <laughs> uh, I jump into asking more about the organization, and the work, I want to ask you about your grandmother. She sounds like a really special person. And for all the people who, like you said, after you felt that ton of bricks fall on you and you recognize that you were not alone, which is something else I'd love to hear about. There was a person there for you. Not everybody has that. Would you tell us a little bit about your grandmother? Yes, absolutely, Jay. I I love, I absolutely love my grandmother, both of my grandmothers, but specifically my maternal grandmother, my, my, my mom's mom who raised me. She is, uh, you know, I think of the song, even though the, the actual meaning of the song might be a little different, but, <laughs> but uh, I think it's Diana Ross, I'm Every Woman. You know, my grandmother is truly was was every woman to for for me and my my brothers. She she was uh, was is a woman of faith and she took literally every Sunday. She took me and my brothers to church. We were very involved in church. Um, we were in the choir like we were in the children's choir and then the youth and young adult choir and we were i became an usher uh a ju they call it a junior usher when i was young i sh i was a an announcement clerk uh my grandmother taught my grandmother taught me how to before i even really got into preschool and first grade second grade all that she taught me how to read and write and uh that was really a major game changer of course for 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 me um, and my brothers and she would I was very, very young. She would sit me. Uh, I used to love to jump in her bed because she had, the, you know, I, you know, when you're so small like that and you you love your your parent and, you know, you just want to be around them all the time. And so I used to just love to just crawl up in her bed and, you know, snuggle with her. And she would teach me she, we would have those, you know, children's books that you could flip through. So she started she started reading them to me initially. And then I would be like, Grandma, I want to read you the book. You know, let me read the book. So I, I started to read the books to her. Then she pulled out the newspaper. Um, I think it was The Washington Post at the time. And I would she would we would go through articles like parts of articles and and she would help me to pronounce words that I didn't know. And then any words that I was learning, she would have me to write them. She's a teacher, by the way. Her 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 background is in education and um, early, early childhood education. That has been her entire career to this very day. She's a, she's the director of an early, you know, an early child care center. So that I mean, she just has a passion for kids and for education. And so that is sort of where a lot of where I got my passion for and, and understanding the importance and the freedom and the knowledge and the fun, you know, that comes along with with learning new things and reading and all of that. Um, yeah. And, and she also I'll say this: she sacrificed a lot. You know, she was a single woman, a single grandmother um, pr prior to me coming into the picture unfortunately, and, and, and I know my grandmother's okay with me sharing this, you know, she had gone through a divorce and uh, she was single raising me and my two brothers. And then my mother was around for, I mean, I, unfortunately my mother passed when I was 13 and uh, my brothers were even younger. Um, my, my, our middle brother, I'm five years, we're five years apart. So they were very, very young when our mom passed. And so it really was just grandma for, for, for me, grandma was all I knew. And then when my brothers turned a certain age, they left to live with, with their father. Um, but I, I was with grandma the, the entire time and I didn't, 
my father, of course, wasn't really around. And then mom was gone. And there, there was really and even my grandfather, like my my grandmother was all all she stepped into a lot of the different roles until I began to get out in the world and, you know, get these people called mentors and, <laughs> and and all of this. Um, but she she always kept a positive. She tried to she was very positive and she was very encouraging and she was very supportive, like whatever I wanted to do. If I wanted to be in a play when I was in middle school, um, I I was in the play called The Wiz and I <laughs> I wanted to be Dorothy, of course, but, you know, I ended up being they they cast me as Glenda, Glenda, the good witch, oh, and, yeah. you know. <laughs> and so my grandmother, I don't know how she did it. She would always get these amazing costumes wherever she had to go, whatever she had to do. She found these costumes. So I just had this beautiful ball gown of a dress you know, for, for my role as Glenda the Good Witch, which was only one scene, but I killed that scene, you know, <laughs> I, I did that. Well, maybe I shouldn't use that terminology, but I, let's say I blew that part out of the water. Um, and then like when I was in elementary school, I remember I, uh, we, we used to do a lot of reenact, like uh, historical reenactments. And I, I don't remember exactly the figure that I was. I, I think I was, um, I was either a Sojourner Truth. I think I was Sojourner Truth. And she bought me this this like old time outfit. And I had that hat like this. I don't even know what it was called. It, it really looks like a shower cap. But anyway, she was able to find these costumes and, you know, just she was just so supportive. Any anything that I needed. Um, we always had clean uniforms um, for school and she was there for all of the programs and. Um, she also showed us the importance of family, even though our family was sort of unconventional and every Saturday, almost every Saturday, she would take us to Blockbuster. And I, I know that Gen Z, they, they have no idea what Blockbuster is, but it's basically Netflix in, in, in person form where you, you know, Jay, I know you remember Blockbuster, you walk in and. It's just a world full of movies all over, all on all the walls. And grandma would say, OK, you guys go pick out your fate. Go pick out like two or three movies. And we would all go pick out different movies and a big, big bucket of popcorn and soda and all that kind of stuff. And we would go home and we would lay lay like a blanket or something on the floor. And we would all sit in the living room and, and just watch movies for for hours and so those are some of the formative memories that I have of of childhood. And even though, you know, my grandmother, we didn't have much, but she just made it. It didn't feel like we were really lacking anything because because of of how much effort she put into showing us, you know, what what it looks like to to get together and spend time as a family, you know. That's uh, it really does sound like an amazing, warm, loving home where it, 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 you start with a focus on reading together, which is so important for kids. And not everybody has that, regardless of what what their home is like, you know, what, yes. where their parents are or what's happening. That's so instrumental. And it sounds like that was a big influence on you because uh, you also talked about it being fun. So it wasn't just this is something you need to do because you need to succeed or uh, you know, you need to change your life or you need to be a better kid. But it was no, it was it was fun to read. That must have influenced your interest in education. I mean, clearly you had uh, an ability, but not everybody has an appetite. You developed an appetite or else you wouldn't have been thinking about college when you were 15 and going through an entrepreneur program. So uh, the spark was that just at the home. How much was also you just wanting to do something different? Did you have a vision? even before the entrepreneur program of what that future might be like? Oh, wow. That's a great question, Jay. I, I definitely always wanted to do something different. Um, I, I really don't know how to describe it. And to be honest, I don't know. I don't always know where, where that kind of hunger or drive came from. I mean, I, I was aware that my grandmother I was aware that there were 
struggles behind the scenes, you know, so to speak, like, you know, financial challenges and these kinds of things. I just, but I had always had that a curiosity that I think that's the word. I, I always had this curiosity about family, about life, about, you know, I, I would think things like, I wonder how it is to live in this country or, you know, because when I was that age, 15, 16, when I was a teenager, and, and another thing I'm very grateful for, I had these amazing opportunities to travel when I was very, very young. Um, I, I was fortunate to, and of course, this is a testament to one of my teachers, Miss Ashton, who was my um, one of my math teachers in middle school. I had opened up to her about what was happening in my personal life and family life. I just really trusted her and we had a really good relationship and I, and I knew that she was really passionate about education because first of all, I never really was a fan of math, but she made me love math. And I was like, anybody who can make me love math, there's somebody that, you know, I can, <laughs> I can, I can talk to. And so when I told her about my story and all that, and I wanted to go to college, she told me about the Jack and cook foundation. And because of her, I told my grandmother, we applied, I got in and with Jack and Cook, they have a young, they still to this day have a young scholars program for middle school. Like you're, you, you start in middle school and then you transition into, you continue in the program as a high schooler. And so I ended up going to Costa Rica for six weeks. And Wait, the, how, how old were you? When I was like, I had to be 15, 16 years old. Wow. And and it forced me, of course, I was with a family and um, I, it forced me to I was I was taking Spanish class in class in school, in high school. But it forced me to No, I was a little. Yeah, I think I was like 15, 16. It forced me to like learn Spanish and, and speak it. Because, <laughs> you know, if you're living in a country, you know, you know, that, that that speaks a different language. It's very hard to navigate. You may be able to find a couple people who speak English or a little bit, but, you know, it forces you to immerse yourself into the culture, um, as you know. So that was eye opening. And then Zambia, I went to Zambia, Africa through LearnServe at the same time. And so I was being exposed. So it started with me reading about places and and yes, you're right. Like what happened was because my grandmother like it be it was a fun like I saw it as a fun thing. So it got to the point where I would be reading like I used to read books like all day every as a child and as as a young person. And honestly, I really need to pick that back up. <laughs> like I need to pick up reading for fun as an adult. Um, but I would read like, for example, what was that series uh, House on the Prairie? Oh. I would be reading like House on the Prairie and all of these, um, you know, kind of series and these books like late at night. And I would have that little nightlight. And it got so bad that one day I woke up and I went to school and I couldn't see I couldn't see the writing on the on the at that time it was a blackboard. I couldn't see the writing on the blackboard and I had to get glasses but it was probably because I was reading so much in the dark with this little, you know what I'm talking about with the little nightlight thing. So anyway, that that's how it started was just having curiosity and a lot of exposure. Right. And I just kept wanting more. I just kept wanting more. Like, honestly, Jay, my real dream life is just to just travel the world and just meet, meet people, learn about their culture, try their food try their garments like that. That is the life that I, I hope that I can live at some point is, is to be able just to do that. Wow. Well, I, I'm imagining that for a lot of people, they, they don't even have a concept of that. And you, you did, you developed it both because of the home you were in, but also because of you, you, that natural curiosity, you just fed into that. Um, when you made this kind of realization later through the entrepreneur program about what as you say, really pissed you off. Mm -hmm. I, I have a feeling you always knew what that was, but but you, it sounds like somebody gave you the space to speak out about it and then to form a solution to it. And that uh, I, I can imagine that one of the things you must have been thinking about is, like you said, all the other people uh, who are living through this experience, uh, both the incarcerated, of course, themselves, but but the kids 
who had nothing to do with that. They were just trying to be kids. So, so can you take us back to kind of that moment about that realization that you were not alone and talk about what that meant and how that's fueled you a little bit? Sure. Um, like I, I initially, initially when I, you know, when I came across those st- statistics, particularly, you know, there are 2.3 million young people in the United States who've had an incarcerated parent that was, or who have an incarcerated parent. That was just really mind blowing for, for, for me at now, but especially at that age, I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean that there are millions of us? Like, that's how I was thinking. And so (sighs) There was just so much going through my mind. And also at the same time, when we say prison industrial complex, you know, that is is it's it's a loaded term. But there's so much going on there that a lot of people even now are not aware of. Like for me and and this is this is definitely might be a controversial statement, but it's true. And I would stand behind it. Now, this I will say. From what I what I have learned and what I know, to me, the prison industrial complex in America is the new slavery. Um, it, it is a form of slavery. Uh, and, and, and what a lot of people do not know is that <laughs> in a lot of a lot of prisons throughout America, that is our new uh, industrial workforce, for lack of a better term. So. Things that people don't even realize, school uniforms, uh, license plates, a lot of different products and things that we utilize here here in this country that aren't that aren't produced in, you know, abroad, like in, in you know, China or where or Vietnam or, or where have you. Those are being produced by people who are incarcerated in this country. And then I learned things like, well, prisoner, you know, for those who are incarcerated, if they're getting, you know, paid or where have you, it's 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 cents on the dollar. It it, it may not even be a dollar an hour. We you couldn't even though they're incarcerated and then they have. um and these are things I know, you know, I'm just sharing it with with audience for those who are listening who may not know uh, commissary what what they call it, uh, which is like their grocery store for for lack of a better term. And so if you're imagine you're a woman and you're incarcerated and you're on your you're on your menstrual cycle and you need to buy some you need to buy some pads if you can can even do that. And let's say you don't have family members on the outside who are contributing to your personal fund and you only rely on the money that you're making from producing certain products. If you're making 70, 75 cents an hour and you want to go buy one pad, let's say the pad is five dollars. You may or may not have that. So you may have to choose between. Well, you know what? I, you know, and the food that they that they give, you know, is not all that great. And so you say, well, you know, I've got to decide between whether I want to buy a tampon or whether I want to buy some ramen noodles, oodles and noodles. To me, I do understand the concept of, you know, I guess, dealing with the repercussions of your actions. And that's if you're you're quote unquote guilty. Right. Whatever. There are so many things that are like inhumane and wrong about the system itself. And not only that, but it those impacts affect the people that are connected to that person on the, as they say, on the outside. So all of these different things that they're going through and don't add the element of mental health challenges. That's a whole nother conversation. And so it it goes much deeper than just, oh, this person is a criminal or, you know, it, it just is, there's so many layers to it. And, and, and so when I learned these things, I was like, this is not right. This is this is unjust. This is not. 
and and what 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 a lot of us who who work in this space will say, you know, which is true that our correctional system is is not rehabil is not rehabilitative, it's punitive. So our prison system is is built with this idea of punishment, but even after you've served your time, people are still serving time, you know, when they when they're quote unquote released. And how is it that we can incarcerate people for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, whether it might have been murder, it might not have been. And then you you basically the person is their life is they they they're living their entire lives incarcerated. And then we we let them out at 75, like, okay, have a good life. What? You know, so these all of these things that are happening that a lot of Americans don't even realize there are people whose lives are wasting away or and families that are missing out on spending time with their dads, with their uncles, with their aunts, with their grandmas. And there, there are all these things that they have to deal with that usually when they come out there, whether they realize it or not, a lot of in a lot of cases, they're institutionalized. And so the, for those who decide like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to live a different life. I'm never going back to that. They have to make conscious efforts to like basically retrain their minds to not think institute institutionalized, if that makes any sense. So anyway, I, I went way off there. Like I went on one of my soapboxes, but I just all of this I was learning at that age. And I was like, whoa, you know, there's something that has to be done. But I felt so overwhelmed because I was like, how can I? How can I even begin to to make change with a system that is is a monster is is a monstrosity that has so many players and here I am, I'm not wealthy. I'm not, I don't, I don't have stocks and bonds and all these, all these things. How can I even begin to make a difference? And so that the answer became for me, I can start where, where I'm at. And so for me, I was, like you said, I was trying to, I was trying to find the resources, the finances and the resources. So to afford a college education and then I began to learn all of the all of the barriers and challenges to even get through the door to go to college, to afford a college education. And I'm like, OK, well, if there are millions of other young people like myself who are in this predicament, then maybe maybe I can start a program to like bring us together to so that we can help each other. So that's the long answer to to that discovery. <laughs> Oh no! Thank you for that. I'm, I mean, it also strikes me that um, the system you described that many people aren't familiar with, without hearing that story, that that's not one just visited upon the incarcerated, but on their families, and all the way from the economic reality of if they are earning anything within a prison, um, it's certainly a very little to pay for menstrual products or or box of ramen noodles, and that doesn't leave any money for the kids who might be on the outside. But that means that that, that system that the kids on the outside have been growing up in also must feel a bit confining um, in terms of ability to talk about it without any kind of repercussions or fear about uh, you know uh, ost being ostracized potentially or being characterized in different ways by different people. But that then you found this, this way of thinking about it that was not only for yourself, but for others. And I know that led to the founding organization, but it also enabled you to just go and get the education yourself first. So clearly you were doing well in school, but you still had a financing issue too. How did you find the financing to go off to school? And that was at Elon University. Is that right? Or yes. Where, yes. You know? mm -hmm. So how yeah. did you, how did you make that journey yourself and then be able to use that experience to then set up these scholarships? Ah, that's first? a great, great question, Jay. Great question. Um, well, I will say this. <laughs> I, I do have some of my father in me uh, and, you know, my dad, he does have, he does, 
despite the reality, you know, of him being like a repeat offender, he he there are some uh, good qualities uh, about him. And one of those being that he can. Yeah, I don't know. He he can he can draw money out of a rock or whatever you want to say. Like he he is very resourceful um, and he's you know, so I, I have that like I feel like I have this innate hustle in me and, and, and in a good way. I, I use it for good. I use my powers for good. right? Uh, and so I just man, my whole junior year, well, well, part of my junior and all my senior year of high school, literally the the schedule was school homework scholarships every school homework scholarships i was applying for scholarships every week and fortunately i'm just so grateful that the people who were who were behind the desk who were reading my essays uh and and applications that that they they saw my hunger and my thirst like my desire for higher education and you know, that I really did want to go to college and that I was going to 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 take advantage of that opportunity in a positive way and, you know, do all of the things that you do while you're in college. And and because of because of that determination, that grit and my relentlessness when it came to applying for scholarships, I ended up getting so many scholarships, Jay, that I didn't have. I didn't really have any student loans at all. I didn't have to take out loans like and then with the Jack Can Cook Foundation, which is amazing. And I'm so grateful for people who have who 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 like Jack, Kent, you know, the late Jack Can Cook, who had this kind of vision, you know, who was able to like he started from humble beginnings and he used to sell encyclopedias door to door with his dad. He went from that to, you know, to, of course, communications was a part of of his of his life and passion and owning different teams. One of them being the Washington Commanders, you know, formerly the Washington Redskins. Uh, What he did was he he created an endowment. So specifically for young people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds, that they would have the opportunity to go to college and so what was happening was I was I was literally a scholar in all of these different scholarship programs. And I could go down the list. I was I'll just say a few of them on um, the College Success Foundation, which they have at least three or four uh, different like uh, locations where they're based, Washington, D.C., Washington State um, and a few others. And then um, the AXA Foundation the Jack and Cook Foundation and and numerous others. So I was able to see from from like the student scholars perspective how these scholarship programs worked and how some of them would pair us with, you know, advisors or academic advisors or mentors and all of this. And then I began to realize that some of these foundations uh, in a lot of cases have endowments that were given by or or established by people who had means, who had, you know, who had amassed or accumulated or earned a certain amount of wealth, whether it was passed down from family or whether they did, they were the first generation to do it. And so I saw how it worked and, and I saw how beneficial it was while I was in college, because what it meant, <clears throat> for example, for me, because I, I had I had an abundance, I had an overflow of scholarships, which which is very unusual, um, particularly for somebody like myself, because I had an overflow, I was actually almost every semester I was getting um, I refund checks. I was getting refund checks. And I was like, whoa. You, OK, so, you know, now I don't have to pay for my tuition out of my pocket, which wouldn't have been possible anyway. I couldn't afford room and board, right? All of that was already covered. And now you're giving me, now I'm able to get a check for $1,500 per semester where when I began to realize, when I I realized like, yo, I'm really a broke college student. I have nothing. I was able to use the monies to buy groceries or, you know, to, to go to Target and buy toiletries, like very basic things that we don't think about, or even, you know, buy a new outfit or something like, like, you know, not to go crazy, but just 
to, you know, okay, well, yeah, I want some, it's, it's cold now. I need some boots for the winter. And it, it just made total sense to me. I was like, wow, you know, because of these opportunities I've been given because of the resources and, and the, the, the bit of overflow that allow me to survive, like, you know, college survival, literally, I was like, this really works. And so it began to just make that much more sense to me where it was like, okay, I have to now, I, I began to feel a sense of responsibility. And, and, you know, when I kept hearing in college, pay it forward, pay it forward, you know, terms like this. And I said, you know, since I've been given this opportunity and I began to see how when I would say I'm a student at Elon University and I would see like the person's eyes like, like, wow, you know, Elon and all of this. Right. All of the things in society. I saw how it was opening doors for me to get internships and scholarships and the list go. The list goes on. I said, you know what? This experience has been so meaningful and impactful for me. I have I have to open the door like I have to go back and help other young people who otherwise they would probably just assume like I can't afford. They might just assume, oh, well, I can't afford a college education or there's no way that I'm going to be able to do X or do Y, you know, while I'm in college or if I can even get there. And so that I'm basically recreating in my own way what what I experienced um and 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 as as the saying goes paying it forward and helping you know opening up the door that was opened up for me to help particularly young people who are affected by parental and mass incarceration to get this undescribed indescribable experience that you really you really don't necessarily get as a young adult anywhere else. Can you talk a little bit now just for a second about the program itself? You, you've had, oh my gosh, you, I think you've raised close to a half a million dollars so yes, far. Yes, yes. And uh, how many people have been through the program? So far, 88, 88 scholars. 88. But I know your vision is lots of people and dollars oh. only stretch so far and you're already helping these folks a lot. But can you describe the program a little bit for people? And I mean, from not just how you're selecting people, how people are finding it, which is so important, but also um, how you're helping them, not just financially, that's really important, but also so they don't feel, again, alone, because the experience of going to school, especially if your experience is not like a lot of your fellow students, you may feel like there are certain things you can't talk about or experience is different. Or So how do you, how do you help them both in terms of making sure they have the material resources so they can be their best selves, but also as they feel? like they're part of that community they've chosen. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jay. Um, well, scholarships, you know, we have the, the, the very practical, you know, obvious support, which is, of course, the, or are, which are the scholarships and the book awards. And currently the scholarship per student per year is $3,500. And we actually recently just increased that, that amount within the last year, it was 2,500. Um, and then our book award is currently a thousand dollars. And way back when we started, it was $250. <laughs> and so, and, and not to interrupt, but for the people, like when you talked about things before that people might not know the price of an education now is high. I think most of us recognize that, but the price of books is also astronomical. Yeah. Yes. And it was when I was in undergrad and that was between 2011 and 2015. So I can only imagine, I see some of it with our scholars, but nothing is, you know, with, I guess, inflation and economics, nothing, anything that's going up is unlikely anytime soon to, to decrease. It's just going to continue to increase in terms of the pricing and all. So um, I will say this, that what I realize is honest, honestly, $3,500 per year when most colleges and universities, not, not including um, uh, community colleges, 
you know, if you're paying, if you, you're, you've got a, a price tag of 30 to $45,000 a year, you know, that's really a, really a drop in the bucket. And so there's a lot more work to be done. There are a lot more resources that are needed, but however, I do realize, you know, based on my own experience uh, that every, every dollar counts, every amount adds up. And so if, if our, our scholars do like I did, which they usually do where they, uh, where they accumulate, they apply for multiple scholarships they add up and and it just chips it it chops down the tree. So we have the scholarships and book awards, which the goal, of course, is to continue increasing those amounts and eventually provide, you know, partial, if not full scholarships, just like a Jack Ken Cook Foundation, right? Um, and then we have emergency, we have an emergency fund. What I realized when I was in school that and I didn't even drive a car at the time, but there are so many unexpected challenges and emergencies that come up that can come up when you're in college. And like the COVID piece, the COVID pandemic, I had never experienced anything like that when I was in school. And so to see our students go through that, you know, to have to that was very difficult for a lot of our scholars. And so that was where we said, okay, we need to have some type of emergency fund where if students, if their car breaks down or their laptop breaks down, you know, it's, it's to the point of no, no repair and all of that, that we need to have some additional funding and resources that scholars can tap into um, so that they will be able to continue their education and and not say, oh, well, you know, I got to drop out and I have to start working full time to 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 pay to fix my car or something like that. And then we have our, a mentoring aspect where uh, we pair our scholars with, quote unquote, mentors. Uh, and and we, we train the mentors uh, to be uh, to be non non-judgmental, active listeners and to just allow the scholar to express themselves. And, you know, of course, naturally, you know, share advice and wisdom, but but not to the point where, you know, you want the student, the young person to to ultimately come up with their own solutions. You know, you don't want to like feed them every all the solutions um, or, or, you know, kind of like you don't want to make them feel like you're, you're not listening to, to, to how they're feeling and what they're going through. Right. So we train our mentors to, to have a certain kind of approach and mind and mindset to be open minded um, and to remember that they were once there before, you know, uh, even if maybe they make a decision they may not agree with, that they still be sort of kind of open minded or say, oh, OK, you know. I'm trying to think. So we've got the mentorship. Oh, and then we have um, there's there's this heavy. We put a lot of emphasis on commu building community and um, network like, you know, safety net network. And so we have a lot of in-person uh, virtual. Yes, but also in-person events where or, or activities where scholars can meet each other and they can exchange. They usually end up exchanging phone numbers and all of that. Uh, and emails. Um, and we just do a lot of different things. Sometimes it's educational based. You know, we have workshops, uh, various conferences, a couple of conferences a year. Um, like we have a college readiness work uh, conference um, and we have a, a college success, you know, kind of uh, conference and all. And we cover a number of topics of uh, financial management, uh, career planning, resume building, uh, uh, social branding and social media, things like that, that, that young people, just to help them to uh, not only because we, I realize in, in the scholarships network, especially the mentors and people who we bring in to facilitate these workshops and webinars, realize that in order for our scholars to be successful and to continue growing and, and, and be, you know, going when they're transitioning from undergrad to if they want to go to graduate school or in their careers and, and family and so on and so forth, that they need to have these tools 
not just the scholarship money and all, but, you know, to understand the importance of mental health and being exposed to the things like therapy, you know, having a therapist, possibly having, you know, if you want to have a coach, um, the, you know, how, how to manage, how to create a budget, how to manage finances and things like that. Um, and even we've had workshops on becoming a first time home, home buyer and homeowner, because I myself, I mean, I, I've had family members, my great grandfather purchased his home and my grandmother, you know, through when she was married, you know, purchased a home, but that was not a, a skill or knowledge that was actually taught to me. I had to I had to go out and find the information and learn it. And so, yeah, like all, all of these things we we provide our Scott. Oh, and also laptops. That's the last thing I'll, I'll uh, sh well, two two things finally I'll share is when I was going through school, I mean, you know, you can't, from my perspective, be successful in college and not have the up-to-date technology to, to, especially when now you're, you know, the classes are hybrid most of the time now. And like, ever since COVID folks were like, Hmm, we could, you know, I could teach this class from home, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of students and, and they're, you know, doing their homework and writing their papers and, and taking virtual classes, you know, I don't want them working on, you know, trying to do this with really, really old, laptops that just are slow or, you know, the screen is cracked. So we purchase, I make it a point, spanking brand new laptops that are up to date, that have enough storage and all that good stuff. And they, of course, you know, they love it. They, they love the laptops. And we also just started an alumni fund because what I have, what I'm seeing and what I'm learning is that with most or with a good number of careers um, or, or even post-secondary, you know, with, uh, I'll say, advanced education and students wanting to get uh, uh, um, graduate degrees and advanced degrees, that you usually have to, in most cases, take some sort of exam or test, you know, and get a certain score so that you can even be considered or you can that you can even apply or be considered for some of these programs and those costs, you know, to take the um, the LSAT, uh, to take the MCAT and all of these, you know, uh, ATs. <laughs> um, there's costs that come along with that. Some of these exams cost three hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars per session. And if you don't get the score that you want to get, you've got to take it again. Right. And then they've got to buy the 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 books, you know, uh, to 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 study and try to find a tutor. I mean, you're talking about thousands and thousands, a couple, a couple, if not more thousands of dollars that are most of our scholars some day and on some days myself that we don't even have. So I realize like the importance of community and when you put dollars together and resources together you know, you can really make a difference and push, you know, where some of our scholars, for example, some of them want to be become lawyers. Some of them want to become OBGYNs and prenatal nurses. If it were not for support through scholarships or other other sources or mentors who have already gone charted those paths and overcome certain obstacles, then they might just give up. And it's like, but, you know, I just saw a report um, on the news not too long ago that there's a shortage of primary care physicians across the country. So, you know, I, I really want even more so, I really want for people in the spaces of post-secondary and higher education to look at the systems that are currently in place and whether it makes sense to keep these same traditions or 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 systems that have have been since 19, whatever, 1950, 19, whenever, you know, is that, is that going to work to, to, or, or, or might it be harmful for the, the upcoming generations of our workforce? Cause, cause I just don't, I don't see it being sustainable 
you know, um, for for the long term. So anyway, again, I'm on, I went on another soapbox, but those are the those are that is the program. Those are the kind of um, supports and things that we offer. Uh, uh, but of course, there are many challenges with the work. You know, we have to build capacity and sustainability. We do not yet have an endowment, um, which is a little scary. I am currently a staff of one, which is which is a little scary. Um, so there's a lot of things that need to happen, um, which is why I'm very grateful for that moment, you know, that that CNN Heroes moment. And because of it and because of, you know, having opportunities like this, Jay, to share my story and, and, and scholarships and why the work is so important, because we just need more resources and support so that we can make scholarships sustainable for 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 many years to come because unfortunately fortunately but also unfortunately these types of supports for young people whether they have incarcerated parents or not is is really needed if 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 we're going to have a thriving workforce uh in 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 multiple industries in 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 this country in the years to come are there other foundations joining you in this? Are they seeing some of the stigma fall? And so they see your example, they're joining you both financially, but also kind of offering their own scholarships that partnered with yours, make it possible for people to make that journey that you've made and these and your scholars are making? Yes, there there are some there, and I'm very and I'm very grateful for them. Um, the Kayfords Foundation has been a tremendous supporter of scholarships since. Since my learn serve days, like I, I was telling Kafers about what I wanted to do with scholarships when I was in high school. <laughs> and so a few years later, they began to, of course, we had to apply and um, we've built built healthy, uh, uh, you know, really good rapport um, with with their staff. And and so they've supported us. Um, the Shidell Foundation uh, has been a supporter of scholarships. Um, uh, oh, uh, Enterprise, Enterprise Holdings, they have an initiative called the Road Forward Initiative, and they've been supporting scholarships. And so and, and also individuals, we've had some community individuals and giving circles like giving together um, the black benefactors and many others uh, who who see who know what we're doing. Uh, they see the work in action like we're not just talking. We're not just blowing smoke. You know, we're, we're actually really doing the work. And but we need the resources and support to to continue. And so they have wrapped their arms around scholarships and have partnered with us. Um, however, as scholarships, as as if we want to increase the number of scholarships, the amounts, the number, if we want to increase the young people who we're supporting, it's going to require more. Um, and so, you know, we're I, my goal and my hope is to get to the the you know like the MBA Foundation and. Um, you know, some of the foundation, like Mike, uh, 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 Magic Johnson ha has a foundation, right? Like at this point, we need a multi-million dollar endowment. Basically, this is what, I, what I'm getting at. And every amount counts, every amount, every every grant counts. But there's so much more work that needs to be done. And like I said, ultimately to build sustainability and capacity, you know, scholarships. Is, so let me say this. And it's all all respect to to the work and all and everybody who's been a part. Scholarships is still in Little League. You know, we're still in Little Leagues, but, you know, it's 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 time for us to go to the NBA, you know, the NFL, like you know, to go to the Super Bowl, like that is that is the that is like the next step in terms of increasing impact and 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 helping that many more young people to to see college as a possibility, to know that it's possible to have the funding and resources to go and complete that part, you know, the education and then to think about other possibilities and be introduced to other uh, industries that they may not even have ever seen anybody in their families or in their communities be engaged in. And, and that just may be whatever they're introduced to in college. That just may be the path that they end up taking, you know, um, to 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 help people in whatever field that may be.
you know, what, what, if you look out, you know, 10 years from now, something like that, imagining that this continues to grow the impact both of scholar chips, but also other partner organizations, what does that look like? Paint me a picture of what a world looks like in which you're really addressing this problem the way you'd like to see it addressed. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, from scholarships perspective, it would look like, again, like I said, having an endowment for one, because to me, even though that's not the, 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 the answer of all, you know, that's not necessarily the end all be all, but it does secure a certain, it, it does give a sense of security and, and financial long haul, so to speak, that that the mission and the work can and will continue beyond me and beyond any volunteers and staff, you know, because just tis the the circle of life. Right. And so that's one. Two, having a locations in multiple states, um, you know, going from being a local program to, I mean, from a local regional program to a national program, but also internationally. I'll say this. I have a dear friend named Francis who is in Uganda and he too works. Uh, and he, oh my goodness, his program bring will bring tears to your eyes. It's called Wells of Hope. And Francis works with and supports young people who are have incarcerated parents. And in most cases in Uganda and other countries, not just in Africa, right, but especially there, when they have a parent who's incarcerated, they usually end up becoming orphans because they don't have any other parents or they may not have a grandparent that's either still alive or that's able to care for them and make sure they you know, go to school and ha all of these things. So he he has a, a a building facility where he takes children in and they they have classes and they have teachers and they're still learning and going to school. But but he works with the grade school children. So by the time they're ready to to their quote unquote college age. There's no money, there's no resources for them to go to college. And I remember two or three years ago, and, and it just, it stays with me. You know, Francis said, Yasmin, we have 10 young people who want to go to college locally. Um, but he's like, but I don't have, you know, we, the program itself, we're not there yet. We don't have the resources or the, 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 <clears throat> the money to, to send them to their local universities. And it just broke my heart. I was like, you know, when when I know that we that that scholarships is 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 doing it on another level, on a higher level, is that we're able to do this work, not only in, not only nationally, but internationally, because I, I should have been I shouldn't say that, but I wish that when Francis told me and he showed me their profiles that I know that they're that they're real, you know, when he showed me these young people's profiles, I wish that we could have been able to fund their college education because $3,500 or $5,000 here would have covered their tuition for a year or two years. So that's the kind of impact, you know, that's the kind of vision and impact that I'm talking about. Um, and so let me let me ask you this. You just mentioned your your grandmother again. We started the conversation talking about about her. And also about your father. And yes. you're at this point now where you're growing this activity. You're seeing the impact in a big way. What what do they say about what you have achieved? Who, my grandma? And, and did you say my dad or just grandma? Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing for a reason. Um, my grandmother is, is, is just proud. You know, I. I, I think my grandmother's very happy. Um, I just think from what I'm, what I see and what I hear, it does, it does her heart well. Um, it just does her heart well. Cause we, I was talking to her. Yeah, actually my grandma, I know when, when this, when this airs, it won't be probably this, 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 this day or this time, but um, December 13th is my grandmother's birthday. And I was literally sitting with her on her birthday and we were having a conversation and she was saying, you know, Yasmin, she was like, 
she's just so happy. And, you know, with the CNN heroes was like, really, it really was a big, a big breakthrough for me and for scholarships. And she said, you know, Yasmin, we, we, there's no way that we could have imagined anything like this five or 10 years ago. And she said, just imagine what it will look like in another five to 10 years. Right. And she was just smiling, smiling, smiling. And, you know, she had like church members that I grew up with calling her and like, oh, we saw Yasmin on TV and all this kind of stuff. So she's just really proud. My dad, he's a little bit more stubborn. Um, <laughs> he's proud, but he just has a different perspective. Like, for example, he'll usually say to me, well, if it was not, if it wasn't for me, there would be no scholarships. And to an extent, <laughs> exactly. Like to an extent, what he's saying is true. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be proud of that. But anyway, um, my dad is, 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 is he, he, he has a, a very different line of thinking. Um, but I think that he's also, you know, proud, he's proud of me and he's proud that, that I'm his daughter and that, I've chosen to, you know, activate my life and the gifts and skills and, you know, powers or so to speak, you know, that I have use it, use it for good, you know, you use it, use it for good. So I think they're both proud and happy and, and, and I'm happy that I can make my family, you know, that I can make them proud and be a good representation, but also I definitely see myself as a disruptor. Uh, I, I am a disruptor. Um, if you're not ready for it, it can make you a little uncomfortable. Um, but I also am, I'm very aware that I am a generational curse, curse or generational cycle breaker. And so what I'm actually also doing on a more deeper, even spiritual level, dare I say, is I am activating a lot of other young people and people to break certain cycles. And when I say that, I mean cycles of poverty, you know, cycles of lack, cycles of lack of education, right? Like you can break out of that. And if you want something different, if you want to pursue education, you can, and, and we will help you. <laughs> the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions. Our producer is Jack Frost. Our theme music is Be My Remedy, composed and performed by House of Say. You can subscribe to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, webcasts, and CFRE accredited webinars with our featured masterminds at DonorSearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.